Hey, uh, we are continuing our series called Open. We're running all the way up to Easter. And what we've been talking about is who we are as a church. You know, Vision Sunday is all about what we do as a church. But, but leading up to it, I felt it was really important that we talk about who we are, what our values are, what does it look like uh, as a church? What do we, what do we want to be? You know, and, and in some sense, it's, it's aspirational. Some, in some sense, it's, it's confirmation. Uh, but we're, we're diving in, and we've been using Acts 2 as a bit of a framework to be their early church. Uh, but I want to jump in, lean heavily on the words of Jesus today. And if that's okay with you, pull open that YouVersion Bible app uh, if you're using that. And all of your notes are already locked and loaded on there. You hit a, uh, the More button, then Events in the bottom right-hand corner. And you'll see Engage Church with your verses and bonus content already loaded there. And if you want to know how I did it, I did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's how it ended up on your device. And for anyone who's using a paper Bible, uh, thank you so much. We, we honor you in this place. Okay, Luke. Luke chapter 5. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Come on, 12 o'clock. That was not enough. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Okay, that was enough. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. See, when I read something like that, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is, who on earth would have a guy named Jesus who you've never met before walk up to you at your booth, at your desk at work, and be like, hey, man, follow me. Then that person proceeds to get up, cleans out all of their personal effects out of the desk, meaning they check their snack drawer, (laughs) pack it up, because it's the only drawer they use in their desk, and they walk straight out the door with Jesus, and and their co-workers are like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just just following this guy. It's like, where are you going? We don't know. How long are you going to be gone for? undetermined amount of time. It's like, what are you doing with the rest of your life? I'm not sure. Like, I wonder to myself, what on earth would possess somebody to follow Jesus in that manner? John, I've got a request from the front row that you could turn off that one that is blinding their lights, blinding their eyes. There you go, Brendan. I got you. Is that the one? More like that one. All those Macs. We'll just turn those Macs off. Praise the Lord. Anyways, I don't know why I said praise the Lord. It's what Christians do when they get awkward. They just say Christian phrases. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Amen. And you're like, wow, I haven't been in church at all. It's okay. You, you don't want to pick it up, but you might pick it up. You might just be like, oh, Jesus Christ Almighty. And you're like, are you allowed to say that? I'm like, yeah, I just said he's Almighty. It's totally fine. Anyways. Good Lord. See? He's a good Lord. And he's a good, good father. You can say those things in the right context. Okay. Back on track. So Levi just leaves his desk. He just leaves work. And you're like, why would somebody leave work like that? Like, what would cause you to do that? Well, you know, you know the story. Levi's sitting at his desk at the job that he hates, making so much money that he has no friends because all he does is work. And his work just happens to be collecting taxes, which isn't popular now. And I can tell you, it was not any more popular back then. In fact, it was way less popular. In fact, they had their own social class because nobody wanted to hang out with them because the way they collected taxes was though they were, they were ruled and governed by the Roman government, they put the Jewish people to go and take taxes from their own friends and family. So you were assigned your friends, families, and neighbors, and your job is to go around your neighborhood and collect all the taxes from them. And the way that you got paid was not by them just paying a preset amount of taxes, you charge them their tax bill, and then your salary was based on whatever you charge them over and above. So let's say, you know, Jaden, by the way, Jaden did his first time emceeing today. Isn't Jaden doing a great job? 
So let's say that, you know, Jaden's tax bill is a thousand bucks and I'm charged with like collecting taxes from Jaden. I go, hey, Jaden, your tax bill today is two grand. He's like, what? I only owe a thousand bucks. I'm like, no, no, you only owe the government a thousand bucks, but you still owe the local, you know, goods and services taxes and fees, you know, here, those random charges that just get added to your bill every month. That's for me. That's how I make my living. And then I go to each and every one of you because you're my friends and you're in my circle and I extract every last dollar out of you. And then I go buy really nice things using your, mo your money because I am now rich because you are broke because I sucked you dry. So Levi is a leech sitting at his desk, sucking his friends and family dry with no purpose, having all the money in the world with no friends, no direction, nowhere to go, dead end job. And this guy named Jesus walks up. Now, he doesn't know Jesus, but he knows of Jesus because he knows that a, not that long ago, a bunch of fishermen that he also took taxes from earlier had this incredible hull where they brought in all these fish. And they say it was because a guy named Jesus told him to fish on the other side of the boat. So he's like, I know that God can do something because I just took some taxes on those fish. Then he heard these stories about people getting healed and, and, and lives being changed because of this crazy guy named Jesus who spoke with an authority that he had never known or understood before. So when Jesus rolls up to his tax booth, he's like, hey, bro, come with me. He's like, absolutely. I'm leaving behind this dead end job where I make nothing but money, but I have no purpose and I have no life and I have no direction and I can't move forward. You know, what? I'm going to trade all of that in to follow you because I heard that if I follow you, anything can happen. That's why you leave a job when Jesus says, hey, let's roll. So what does he do? What does he do? He does the thing that any sane human being would do when you quit a job that you hate. You throw a party. And then you invite all your coworkers to show you how awesome your new boss is. So it says here in Matthew chapter 5 that later Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. It's like, hey guys, your existence sucks. This is my new boss and he's amazing. Let's party. They dropped the beat and that was it. Like it just... It just went on. It's like new job party. Everyone's like, okay, whatever. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, so the people who were really super religious, they were the sticklers for the rules. They loved the rules. They loved nothing but the rules. And they loved nothing more than making more rules for the rules so that you could stay trapped forever in religious bondage. And if you couldn't follow that, I couldn't either. That's how many rules there were. Those people, they're the people that are judgy and they love to grumble and complain. They're the people that are supposed to be the most put together spiritual people on earth, but they're really the people that are spiritually bankrupt and all they want to do is keep you stuck. Those people started murmuring and grumbling to the disciples. They said, why do you eat and drink with such scum? And you're like, scum's in the Bible? Yeah, that's why you should read it. It's there. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Now, you know what I find a little ironic is that, you know, the only ways that the Pharisees and religious leaders could have complained to the disciples about the party and is that they were actually at the same party, <laughs> eating and drinking with the same people because they were such judgmental, greater than thou type of personalities that they went to the party just to judge you, but it actually made them no different than you because they were eating and drinking with the same scum. Except when Jesus showed up, He's like, oh, I don't see them the way that you see them. See, Jesus had a bit of a reputation. It continued on in Matthew eleven nineteen. The Son of Man, which is 
code for Jesus. On the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say that he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners, but wisdom has shown to be right by its results, meaning, you know what? Lives are being changed. You can call me whatever you want. You can call me whatever words you want, whatever name you want, but you know what? I'm going to keep eating with those people. I'm going to keep going with those people. I'm going to sit at the table with those people, and you call me Jesus, friend of sinners. I'm happy with that. The truth is Jesus has awesome nicknames. Friend of sinners, awesome nickname. I hope that's my nickname. This is even better. In Luke chapter 19, verse 7, a few weeks ago, we talked about this guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. There's a a Sunday school song that I grew up with that I'm so glad that you are not burdened with, but I cannot say his name without singing the song in my head. So it just comes out in rhymes, and I apologize. He was a wee little man, and he went up in a tree, and (laughs) sycamore tree, actually, uh, and but what was really crazy about this is not only was he a tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector. Like, he thought Levi was bad. Like, Zacchaeus was the absolute worst because he was the boss of the boss. He was the big boss at the end of the level of Mario. Like, that's just who he was. He was, like, he was the big guy, and he was even more rich because it was, like, the original pyramid scheme, and he just kept taking money from everybody else, and, and he got richer and richer and richer and richer, but he felt the same way. He was in a dead-end job with all the money in the world but no friends and no relationship and no purpose and no direction. So he here, Jesus is coming to town. He's like, I need to see this guy. So he starts walking along, and then he realizes he's going to miss him. So he does something that people didn't do in that day or in that era. He picked up his robe, he wrapped it around his hands, and he started running. Now, that was not a normal thing for men to do, because in that era, men do not show their legs. It brought shame on your household. And maybe your robe would come too far up and just, you know, cause a problem. But the truth is, I don't think some men in this society should show their legs either. <laughs> it's like, leg day, bro. Or like bushwhack those things. Like those things are, are you wearing pants still? It's just, it's concerning. But Zacchaeus, it's not healthy. Uh, Zacchaeus ran up the tree and he's standing there in his own shame, not caring because you don't, when you hit a breaking point, when all you're looking for is destiny and life and purpose, you don't care what you have to do to find that. So he gets up a tree, and Jesus walks by, not knowing him personally, not even like knowing of him, just hashtag, you know, being God. <laughs> walks by and goes, Zacchaeus. And everyone's like, Ooh? how does he know his name? He's like, I'm coming to your house for dinner. So he slides down the tree, and this is what people said. The people were displeased. If this was the 21st century, it would say the people sent an email <laughs> to the manager. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Jesus, friend of sinners. Jesus, friends of notorious sinners. I think that's a new line for Engage Apparel, uh, notorious sinners. Anyways, too much? Like, we can't believe this guy would go with that guy. Our guy who's supposed to be the hero of the story is hanging out with the villain of the story. Why is that? How could Jesus lower himself to that level? Don't you know that there's levels and there's rules and there's society and that there's like people's perceptions and perception is reality. And don't you know you got to be careful with who you're associated? Don't you know like you got to just like step off Jesus. You can't be sharing tables with these kind of people because if you share a table, then people are going to say all kinds of things about you because you had a meal and you're hanging out and you must be doing the same things that they're doing. And Jesus, you know what he does? He doesn't care. He doesn't care. You know, I was, when I grew up, my parents used to host this thing called Wednesday night dinner. 
And it was a thing where we had dinner on Wednesday nights. <laughs> and, <laughs> but they would open up the house to anyone in the church that I grew up at, to, um, to anyone that was in college that just wanted to come over for a meal. And if you're in college, you're going to come over for a meal because you're broke. And you want to eat. And even if you're not broke, you still want to just eat someone else's food for free. And so they would just show up. And, and the funny thing about this is I can't, like, there was never, like, a standout meal. Like, it was, like, wasn't ever about the food. I mean, there's always some funny things that happen. But it was a kind of a revolving cast, and it went for a number of years and for me into my college years. But, you know, I still, like, I ran into somebody in Calgary a few weeks ago, literally randomly, uh, at Pagini in Calgary, so head on down there if you're in Calgary. Shout out John Schulter. Um, and they're like, hey, do your parents still do that dinner? I was like, nah. <laughs> nah. They're like, that dinner changed my life. I'm like, I try not to act surprised. I'm like, okay, that's awesome. That's great. See, and, and, and I would like just write that off if it didn't happen to me all the time when I run into the people that used to come to those dinners. And again, it was nothing spectacular. It was nothing overwhelming. It was just that there was a place at the table for anyone who showed up. There was a place at the table where you could sit and you could talk freely and openly about ideas or about God or about your journey or about life, about your story, where you could learn from other people. You know what we learned in that environment? We learned how to agree to disagree, that we didn't all have to agree and think the same thing. We weren't all robots. You know what we learned there? We learned that across the table, there's somebody else that's lived a life. And just because you disagree with them doesn't mean that, that, that you can just write them off or dehumanize them or de demonize them because they don't agree with what you agree with. Because all of a sudden, on the other side of the table is somebody who's living and breathing with a story who's who's gone through things and been through things and lived through things. And if I sat there long enough to listen to what they said, I wouldn't care so much about our ideological differences. I would start caring, caring more about them as a person than I did about their opinions. It's actually crazy. Science has proven that having dinner together is good for us. You know that? Like, preach. <laughs> Let's go for lunch right now. <laughs> You're going to start thinking about Swiss LA. And if you don't even like Swiss LA, you're going to start thinking about Swiss LA now because I just mentioned Swiss LA. And you're like, you know what I want is I want chalet sauce on my chicken on a Kaiser. And you're like, I've never had a chicken on a Kaiser, but because you just said it and you said dinner time repeatedly, I'm now thinking about going for lunch. You're, uh, you are, actually. It's amazing. <laughs> That's what happens uh, when you offer. Thank you so much, Ryan, for your generosity. <laughs> the Lord gave that idea to you, and it would be a travesty for me to take it from you. Okay. Science has proven that eating together is good for us. Family dinners are good for us. So you know that if, 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 so if you're a parent and you have kids, that you'll actually see developmental boosts and increase in your children if you have dinner together at night. You actually, they'll actually develop their language skills quicker, and they'll actually develop their motor, fine motor skills faster because they'll take on your terrible mannerisms of being a bad cutter with your knife, and they're going to do the exact same thing. And, and they learn more motor skills because they're just around you. More is caught than it is taught, I think the phrase goes. Not only that, but they've found marked improvement in mental health. And again, you don't have to take my word for it. I've linked to these studies in your version. The research is there that you actually improve mental health because people have a safe place where they can talk and they can, they can hear and they can be heard. The other thing that it does is that it brings families together. Statistically proven that families are more bonded if they have 
dinner together. If you're like, I'm an adult that lives alone. Well, then have dinner with other people. <laughs> like, easier said than done. Did anyone have to sit at family dinners at a kid's table when you were growing up? Now, did anyone enjoy the kid's table experience? No. I, was, I, was like, I felt like I was in purgatory for about seven years, just waiting to get the adult table. I was the oldest cousin, which means all my cousins were smaller than me. And, and when you're small and they're even smaller, it's the worst. And all I wanted to do was get to the big table because the, the plate got bigger and dessert got delivered on time. Like that was, I wanted to be right in the middle of the action where, where the conversation was, where the life was. I just, I just like, I wanted to get out of the kids' table. You know, I find it interesting as we've been d digging into the, the roots of the church in Acts chapter 2 that this is what it says. All the believers devoted themselves, and you've heard this a number of times now, to apostles' teaching and to fellowship, which just means hanging out and building a relationship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, but I should say including but not exclusively the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So two out of the four things that the early church was founded on was building relationships, hanging out, and eating meals together. That leads me over to Psalm 23, and, and, and this phrase just sticks in my mind over and over again. You know, you go through the good part, you know, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. All that stuff gets good. Then you get through, like, the dramatic part in the middle. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for the rod and the staff will comfort me. You know, you get to that part. But then you get to this part. You prepare a feast for me. And I'm like, yes. I deserve it. I made it through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm leveling up. And he says, I you know, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. No. <laughs> That's not how I want this to go down. I don't want to be with my enemies. Got a lot of enemies. I don't want to be with my enemies. I want to be with my friends. I want to be with the people that I like. I don't want to be Jesus. I don't want to be. You're a good shepherd, but you screwed up. I made it through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't need to have a death-like experience at the dinner table. <laughs> you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. You're like, that's pretty weird. That was pretty standard at that time. When you would show up after a long journey, they would refresh you uh, with oil. And you're like, that seems strange. Uh, just think of it as old school dry shampoo, ladies. Like, it's just, <laughs> just keeps you rolling, you know, gets you feeling fresh and feeling good. Uh, my cup overflows with blessings. How do I go from having a meal with people that I don't like and who don't like me to thinking that my cup is overflowing with blessings? It's because something miraculous happens when we take a seat at the table. God does something when we take a seat at the table. You see, when I take a seat at the table, as I mentioned earlier, my perspective changes. Because the person that sits across from me, though I would have labeled them and told them and described them as my enemy, somebody that I do not like, somebody that I do not agree with, somebody that I cannot have conversation with, now I just call them by their name. And the moment I call them by their name, they become a human being. The moment we sit down together and I don't like them, but I watch them with their kids and I watch the way that their kids love them and they love their kids and the way that they take care of them really well. Something happens inside of me because now they're not just like this angry person who I've labeled and I put away in a corner and I've stuffed away because they're not like me and they don't talk like me and they don't dress like me and they don't act like me. Now when they're sitting across the table from me, it's a human being who's got a name and a story and a family and a journey who's been through things. And here I am desperately scrambling to try and keep the label 
slapped on their face. But the more they speak and the more we talk, the more I had to slowly peel the label off of their proverbial forehead. Because there's a seat at the table in the presence of my enemies. And then it occurred to me that he sets a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Because isn't that exactly what he did for you and he did for me? Because in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says that when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 10, he goes a little farther. He says, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still enemies. Our friendship was restored while we were still enemies. Meaning, while I was still an enemy of God, he prepared a place for me at his table, and I was his enemy. And he pulled back a chair, and he said, I've been thinking about you, and I've been getting ready for you, and I've been making all the fixings and putting together that nice little jello salad that you like, and the Caesar salad, and I've been putting together all the details because I love you so much, even though you think that we're enemies, you think, you think that you've got it figured out. I know that you don't, and I know how I can help you. So I've prepared a place for you at this table. And so Jesus simply asks us to extend the same mercy, the same grace, the same compassion, the same thing that he did for us. He says, won't you turn around and do that for somebody else? Not only spiritually, but what if you just actually tried it physically? You know, it's really easy to live by like a us for no more mentality. Like this is it. This is our this is our crew, man. We're rolling with our crew. I don't care about your crew, to be honest. Sorry. What I care about is that nobody's left behind. What I care about is that when Jesus looked at those notorious sinners that everyone saw as scum, he saw them full of life and potential. He saw the destiny that lived within them. He didn't see them as enemies. He didn't see them as notorious sinners. He saw them as friends who were getting ready to sit at the table. And if they could just come sit at their table, this, their lives would never be the same. I wonder what might happen, not only in the spiritual, because sometimes in church we just make this so spiritual. What if you just actually sat at a table with somebody? What, what? I have to talk to people in real life? Isn't that what Facebook Messenger's for? No, does people even use that? No, it's weird. What if, what if God cared about the spiritual you and the natural you? That's because in Acts 2.42, when he talked about their priorities, he did two natural things and two spiritual things. You're naturally spiritual and spiritually natural. So the most spiritual thing that you could naturally do is actually have a meal, invite somebody over. Think about them. Prepare a place for them at the table. Use hospitality. Open up your heart. Open up your home. And I'm just going to challenge you a minute. Take the person that you, okay, let's do something. Let's do a fun activity. When I say the word enemy, close your eyes and just get that first face that flashes in your face. Just, just, just get that in your mind, okay? Do you see a person? Do you have enemies? What's wrong with you? Why do you have enemies? <laughs> Who's got enemies? By a show of hands, who has enemies? No, don't. Okay, it doesn't have to be an enemy. Person that you don't like or person that you don't know. Just, just think about it. Person that just rubs you the wrong way. Get that person. I got them in my mind already. I'm a bad person. I close my eyes and they're there all night. You're like, whoa, terrifying. It's probably because instead of, they're probably there because maybe the Holy Spirit is actually prompting me to do something about that instead of living chained by my own bad perception of who they are. 
Maybe he's asking me to open my heart and not only open my heart, but open my home by taking down the barriers that I put up. You know, we could stop. We don't have to live alone. Our society is, is as alone as it's ever been. And that was never God's plan. He created us for relationship. So when we talk about who we are as a church, we're naturally spiritual, spiritually natural. Everyone's welcome. There's a place here for you. It doesn't matter your current situation, your background. There's a place for you. There's a seat at the table for you. And we thought about you, and we're getting ready for you, and we're preparing for you. Now, I, I, you know, you'll know this if you've been here for more than 30 seconds. We're not a perfect place. And that's okay. We're trying to get better every day. We're not perfect people, but we're trying to get better every day. We do that by doing one simple thing. We follow Jesus one step at a time. And the truth is where Jesus is calling us right now, he's calling us as a community to not just open our hearts. He's calling us to open our homes, open up our tables. If you don't have a home to host people in, then go to Starbucks or go to Perks or go to Tim's. Or whatever's in your budget range, go there. Hit up Cheesecake Cafe for those like half-price uh, appies from three to six because they're two bucks. And I mean, you can afford that. You know, like, and, if, and if you can't, then just hang out with people and scrape together whatever dolls you have. Go to the park and do a barbecue at Jubilee Park on an open fire but please don't burn the park down. I live close. <laughs> but why? Why would I do that? Because the moment, the moment that I sit across the table from somebody, they become a human being. They become a life worth loving. And I see them in a brand new way. But why? Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. See, he said in Luke 19, when asking, answering the accusations of being friends or going to have dinner with a notorious sinner, he said, yeah, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's why. No shame in my game. I'll go hang out with the notorious sinner every day of the week. To be honest, sometimes notorious sinners are more welcoming than the church people. Luke 5, Jesus answered them. When those Pharisees says, why do you eat and drink with those scum? Jesus just clapped back. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Sick people do. <laughs> we go where the pain is because you know where the healing is. You go where the lost are because you know how to find your way. You go where somebody lacks purpose because you know in whom purpose is found. And we intentionally prepare a seat at the table because with Jesus, there's always a place at the table. Everyone is welcome. And here's the crazy part. He's expecting you. <laughs> He's expecting you. You might even be here today, and you might think it's a, a mistake that you even came. Like, some, my friend dragged me along. I don't even want to come. I don't even know what this is. You guys turn the music up a lot, and I don't know that I like that. And I'm like, that's okay. It, it's not going to change. And um, maybe slightly. Probably not. But even though you weren't expecting to be here, Jesus was expecting you. 
(laughs) And not just here in your life. You might feel like you don't fit. You might feel misplaced. You might feel like, just like Levi sitting at a table, lost. You might have cash in your pocket. You might not. But you just find like you feel like you got no direction and no purpose and, and no spot and no position and no place. And now I'm here to tell you that though you felt like you had no place, Jesus has been preparing a place. He's ready for you. He's expecting to you. And he's just standing here saying, welcome home. Welcome home. Grab a seat. There's plenty of room at this table and I prepared your favorites. He's expecting you.